just kind of built from there a little bit, and, um, and we had Dave Latham in between talking to us about all sorts of exciting things, which was fantastic. So please have a listen to the podcast. Um, Tom's talk is 21 minutes. We can all spare 21 minutes in our lives, can't we? 21 minutes is, is a cup of coffee, a big cup of coffee. Um, but it was really encouraging, really powerful, and, and a prophetic word there. And I want to build on it a little bit and, and just understand what does God mean? What was God saying last week to us? And where is God going to move us on? Um, because part of what I want us to do is to respond to the word of Haggai. Sometimes God gives us these words and we listen to them and say, oh, that was great, and we move on to the next great talk and the next great talk, but what are we doing about it? And this whole thing about yielding is fantastic, isn't it? That kind of give way. How are we giving way to the word of God in our lives? How are we giving way to what God is saying to us in our lives? Or are we just carrying on our merry way, ignoring all the signs of yield? So that's what we want to do this morning. So it's slightly different from what I was planning to do. I was planning to just give a, a response time for people to come up and share different things, and maybe we will do that at some at some point. We've got a teaching team meeting tonight, so we might build that in. So please pray for the for the teaching team as we gather. Um, but what I want us to do today is I'm speaking. I feel there's a couple of things that God wants us to talk about and to respond to. Um, the first one is discouragement, and the next one is distraction. Let's look at those two things, shall we? Let's 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 face them full on. Let's face them full on. Because as Tom was talking about the God of the increase, the God of more, there was something resonating in my heart. And I can, yeah, this is right, this is right. So how do we get there? And what did it mean? And, and the God of the increase is, the opposite of that is decrease. You know, we've heard so much about the church decreasing, but there's a new spirit around at the moment. People are opening up their Bibles now in the way they didn't before. And I don't know if you're picking that up, but there, there's a new desire. There's a new awareness there's the cynicism is beginning to diminish, I believe. And I believe there's an openness to God in our nation and in the world. I believe that people are getting hungry now. Because aren't we fed up of politics? And aren't we fed up? And as much as all of that's important, the salvation of the world is not found in whichever party you believe in. It isn't found in any economic structure. It's not found in any political framework. It is found in Jesus Christ. And people are beginning to wake up to that. People are beginning to see that. And so the world, people in the world will say, oh, the church is on the decline. I disagree. I believe that God is on the move. I believe that there is an increase. And, and, and just open up your ears to hear. Adrian was at the barber's, at the barber's, not the barber's, the hairdresser's. <laughs> the other day. And the lady in the chair was saying, yeah, I just, and she's not a Christian, she's just saying, yeah, I, you know, a lot of my friends or young men are opening up the Bible and turning to the Bible again. And I go, wow, that's really encouraging, isn't it? How fantastic is that? Um, so, the, so the opposite of increase is decrease, but we're on increase. Um, and what does the more um, or the increase mean? It isn't an increase in personal comfort. It isn't in, an increase in prosperity. It isn't an increase in making my life good. Because when, at the time of Haggai, um, people, as Tom said last week, were getting despondent because they were looking at Solomon's temple and this new temple being built. There's nothing like Solomon's temple because it couldn't, because it was all covered in gold and all these beautiful things that had been stolen by the Babylonians. And they got depressed and they got down, they got discouraged because it wasn't like that. It wasn't the same because they were comparing the now with the then. And they were saying it's not as good as the then because their idea of what was good then was because of the gold and the glitter and the glitz and the fantastic things that were going on. And we can do that in the church, can't we, as Tom said last week. But the more that God wants now, and, it, and it's clear in Haggai, he talks about the desire of nations. 
is Jesus. The more is Jesus. The more is Jesus. Nothing else matters in your life, in my life, in our church, in this world. Nothing else matters until Jesus matters most. Jesus is the foundation. He's the rock. He's the walls. He's the roof. He's everything. And if he isn't everything, then we have nothing. It's all about Jesus. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. See, I am doing a new thing. Stop living in the old narrative. Adrian prophesied that a while ago. Stop living in the old narrative. There is a new story of your life about to happen. And a new drum that is beating, setting a new pace and establishing a new rhythm. I love the, the Japanese psalm. I was in a, um, an, a, a prophecy appointment. Um, I'll, I'll maybe mention this again at some point. Um, prophecy Me, which is great with Simon Badley, one or two other people. And they were prophesying for me and over me. And uh, one of the ladies there was Japanese. And she was reading out the beginning of Psalm 23 in Japanese, which is, which is fantastic. And it says, the Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest for quiet intervals. And the rest of it is fantastic as well. But I just love that little bit. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. And one of the, one of the things that was prophesied over me is that there is a, a new drum beating. And I was looking this up in the English Civil War. The drummers played a crucial uh, part. They, the, the drummers were known as the voice of the commander. I love that. The, the drum beat was the voice of the commander in the middle of battle. Because in the middle of battle, when there was so much going on, so much distraction, you know, people dying left, right and centre for you, people coming at you left, right and centre, so much noise, so much shouting, Nobody could hear a verbal command from the commander. And so this drum would beat out the command so they would know where to go and what to do and how fast to march and how to hold back and when to retreat and when to climb that hill and where to turn. And so this, the drummer, this new drum that was beating, was beating out and conveying to the troops that the, the commands of the commander that would otherwise have been got lost in the battle. And we've all been in battles and maybe we are in battles where the noise is so big and we need the drum to beat loud. And I would say there is a new drum that is beating out a new rhythm and we need to listen out for the new pace of that drum and the new orders that it's conveying to us and hear the new call of God for today. Not the former things. Forget them. Isaiah, even Isaiah said that. Forget the former things. They may have looked great like Solomon's temple, but it's nothing. It's nothing compared to the new thing that God wants us to move into. I was down at my mum's this, this last week and we went to Berries and Edmonds. Have you been to Berries and Edmonds? Great place, Berries and Edmonds. We were walking down one of these little streets and there was one of these blue plaques on the wall. Nora Lofts. Nora Lofts used to live here. And we both said, who's Nora Lofts? So we Googled it and apparently she was a writer, quite a famous writer. Um, and this blue plaque on the wall, she used to live here. She's dead now, but she used to live here. And you, you see these plaques, don't you? Wordsworth used to live here. Uh, or, or Charles Dickens used to live here. There was a, one in Bristol, I think it was Gustav Holst, used to live here. Um, you go to Allerton um, in Liverpool, and that's Paul McCartney's, it was Paul McCartney's house, wasn't it, in, in, in Allerton. And, and it's a National Trust place, you can go and visit it now. And Paul McCartney used to live here. 
but they don't live there anymore. There's just a plaque to say they used to be there, and I don't want us as a church to be a plaque where God used to live. I don't want us to be a, a, a plaque where God used to be. If I, go, if I go to Paul McCartney's house in Allerton, I can get all nostalgic about the musician, Paul McCartney, but I'm not going to hear any music because he doesn't live there anymore. He's in some big farm in East Sussex somewhere. And, I, and I'm kind of thinking about Paul McCartney's big farm in East Sussex. And is he still playing, I believe in yesterday? I don't think he is. I think he's writing new songs. Paul McCartney will be writing new songs in his big house in East Sussex. So are we going to live in Allerton? Are we going to sort of be in that little house in Allerton, singing the old Beatles songs that they wrote 20 years ago, or 30, I don't know, 40 years, I the rest. I want to I be in the farmhouse with Paul McCartney listening to what he's writing now. And we need to be like that with God, don't we? Let's, let's stop singing the old songs as we were singing before. Let's sing a new song. Let's get into the new music that God has got for us. We want to be a present and glorious habitation for the actual living, real and present presence of the living God. That's what we need to be about. And I love it in our church. You know, I love the way that in our worship, who knows where it's going to go? It's just great. I love it. I love it that people get up and I've got no idea what they're going to say. And they just share something. I think, wow, that's good. I love that. And God is just so great. He just speaks through each one of us. And I just say, it would be great, wouldn't it, one Sunday for every single person here to stand up and say something. And then we never get a preacher in because we just can't get there. And it's just so good to be just aware that God is saying something new all the time. He can say it through every single one of us. Let's not be where God used to be, but where he is now. Let's not live where God used to live, but live where he is living now. So as we move into a time of God preparing us for the new things, he's calling us to give careful thought to our ways. Haggai chapter 1. Give careful thought to our ways. And, And there's two things that I've mentioned that can get in the way of us stepping into the more of God. And what I want us to do is to reflect honestly as I mention these things. I want us to say inwardly say, is that me, Lord? And I can guarantee it will be, because certainly both of them are for me. And, um, you know, they're quite general things, but God is just saying, come on, let's, let's seriously face on, let's have the courage to face these. The two things that can get into the way of the more of God are discouragement and distraction. And I felt quite clearly God was just saying, look, these, these are two things that over, over time immemorial have got in the way of people moving on with me. So with discouragement, you know, there's lots of ways in which we can get discouraged. Just as I'm, I'm pausing every now and again, I know I can talk quick, but it's a bit pausing every now and again. I think when I talk about discouragement, there may be things that come up in your heart. I love the way that scripture is so real. In Luke chapter 14, as we head towards, we're thinking about Easter. All the bunnies are in the shops already. Have you seen them all? Dearie me. Do you know so many bunnies in the world? Um, eggs are out there. We look at Luke 14, Peter disowning Jesus. And it's such a powerful, tiny verse there that when Peter disowned Jesus the third time and he heard the, the rooster crowing, the cock crowing, and, and it says this, he broke down or wept. You know, this is Peter, you know, the founder of the church. I mean, the 
Peter, the one who stood up and 3,000 were added to their numbers. This is Peter that said he was willing to die for Christ. It says, the Bible doesn't gloss over times of discouragement. This was, this was his lowest point, Peter. It says he broke down. If anybody in this church has ever broken down, you know what that feels like. So does Peter. He broke down and he wept. Haggai chapter 1 verse 6. God says this to the people. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And the issue with discouragement is, um, it's not wrong in and of itself, but it can lead to a loss of hope. It can lead to an apathy. It can lead to a loss of our first love. It can lead to giving up, to losing heart, to losing trust. You know, it's what the enemy wants, isn't it? For that discouragement then, just to become something that leads us down a path which creates a distance between us and the new things of God. There is a sleepiness that can beset us, like a, like a boat that's becalmed, you know, on, on this kind of windless sea. It's called, I think it's called the doldrums, isn't it? You know, when the, the doldrums, are you in the doldrums? Because there's a, such a great description in the doldrums. You're there, and all the wind has been um, taken out of your sails. And you've got everything that you need to get places, but there's no wind. It's like the energy's gone in the doldrums. And there's a challenging verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. It says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Oh, you know, that's something that we need to do. So how do we get there? How do we get away from this kind of grumbling, which the Bible, the Hebrew is a, a whispered rebellion, the grumbling against God in our hearts, hanging on to those negative narratives. Story in my life. Oh. Typical. God never listens to my prayers. He never answers my prayers. He never notices me. You know, we have these narratives that go on. And we need to rebuke the vision of God that the enemy has tried to imprint on our hearts. I'll say that again. We need to rebuke, repent of, stand up against the vision of God that the enemy has tried to imprint into our hearts. And have a new vision of God's power, a new vision of God's love, and a new vision of his authority in our lives. And the antidote, because there are antidotes, here we go, the antidote to discouragement is prophecy. It's the prophetic word of God. God is moving us into the prophetic in a big way. And I'll do it like a tiny while well, every now and again somebody might stand up and say something. God is wanting every single one of us here to move into the prophetic. He wants us to begin to open up our mouths that the enemy is trying to shut. And God says, open your mouth and speak what you hear in the darkness. Speak from the rooftops. God says, be a light on a hill. God is saying to you and me, now is the time to speak out. The word that will encourage the person you're sat next to. The word that will encourage the church. 
God is moving us into a new time of prophecy and the prophetic. And I know Dave Latham came the other week and said we're a prophetic community. But that shouldn't just stop here. Oh, that's great. Within these four walls, we're a prophetic community. We need to take it out there because the whole church needs to become a prophetic community and begin to speak into the situations in our world today. The antidote to, to discouragement is prophecy because prophecy is the shofar. Remember the shofar? The, I should have brought it. Sue can play it. She's played it in our house. Sorry, Sue. I'll bring it next week. Um, so, so the prophecy is the shofar that was blown, you know, the ram's horn that was blown, it wakes us from our sleep. The word of the Lord, it says, stirs us up when we hear it and obey it. Romans chapter 3, verse 2, the prophetic word says, wake up, strengthen what remains is and about to die. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13, the prophet spoke to the people and it says the Lord stirred up the spirit of everyone. And then the work of the Lord began. Romans 10, verse 8, the word is near you. Let's look at Romans, sorry, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So as we step into the prophetic, we're going to be doing some teaching and thinking around what the prophecy looks like. The prophetic word lifts us up. It's the call and the drumbeat of God in tune with the heart of God. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says this, Worship God for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears witness to Jesus. Romans, I'll say that again. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10, Worship God for it is the spirit of prophecy that bears witness to Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to step into it? And I know sometimes we've been burnt a little bit by prophetic words, but we need to not allow the enemy to stop us from stepping out. And the second barrier to um, moving into the new things and the more of God that we need to reflect on is not just discouragement. The other one is distraction. I'm going to pause. How have we become distracted? What has distracted us? There's lots of reasons in our lives for distraction, understandable reasons that we can give lots of explanation for. I'm not going to list all those things because there'll be, there'll be every single person here has got a distraction. There is something in your life. We started the year when um, a good friend of ours, Russell, came and he talked about idolatry, just shared a word about idolatry. And it's kind of an old-fashioned word, idolatry. It's in the Bible. It's a biblical word. Um, but we don't hear it very often. And idolatry is really another word for distraction. It's just another word for distraction. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives or takes up the space for God in our lives or takes priority over God in our lives. That story in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 of Martha and Mary. I always struggle with the story because I'm a little bit of a Martha. <laughs> And it's like Martha's there busy in the kitchen doing things and grumbling a bit about Mary because Mary's just lying at the feet of Jesus. Lying at the feet of Jesus. And I'm doing all the scrubbing and all the cooking. And I mean, whoever's, has anybody been there thinking, there's me working hard. And everybody else is off on a worship conference somewhere. There's me doing this. <laughs> or whatever it might be. And, and, and I kind of feel a bit sorry for Martha. I kind of, I kind of feel like, wouldn't it be nice for Jesus to say, oh, well done, Martha, you're doing a great job, fantastic. But instead, he says, stop criticizing Mary. She's chosen what's better. 
And I do, I kind of wonder if in that, I wonder where Martha's heart was at. I wonder, you know, because my heart has had to get into that place of, of being able to receive that. Because what Jesus was really saying was, Martha, I want you to do this too. Martha, this is better for you too. There's a little bit of a prompt there, you know. I can become a martyr to being a victim of life, you know. We, let's just be aware. We Give careful thought to your ways. We're just reflecting a bit, aren't we, on where we're at with things. And I think it's important for us to do that. Distractions will redirect our thinking away from God and we stop listening. We stop being in a place where we can be attuned to his guidance and influence. It's like when you're on a mobile phone and you're in the middle, in a valley, you you don't get a signal. You have to get to the mountaintop to get that signal. Or if you're driving through Westhead, there's no way anybody's getting through to you. You have to to wait until you've got to... to, um, uh, what's it called? Ormskirk High School. And then people can phone you up again. It's like that, it's like that kind of that place you need to be in to receive that signal from God. It's that place of worship. Up the mountain, as it says in Haggai. And we're influenced by what we focus on. You know, we're influenced by our, our works or our distractions or whatever it might be. And, and, and if we're not focusing on God, then we're focusing on something else. So what's the antidote? If the antidote to discouragement is prophecy, the prophetic word, the rema word of God in our lives that stirs us, what's the antidote to distraction? And the antidote to distraction is worship. It is worship. It's nothing other than worship. We had it this morning. It was just great. You know, it came along, and I'm distracted at the moment by so many things. Back to school tomorrow, back into work, things on my mind, all that kind of thing. And we get into a place of worship. It happens at small group as well. You know, go small group on a Wednesday night, and I'm there thinking, oh, I'm tired. You know, okay. And I need to just, like, do this. And I, and I nearly, I, I, nearly, I came that close to not going to, to small group last time it happened, but it's in my house, so I had to. And, <laughs> and it was so good, because we had a great time of worship and a great time of, of ministry. And, um, and so worship is the shofar again, but this time the shofar that wakes us up wakes up our senses. It tells us that there is a battle to fight and to prepare for. The shofar of worship brings down the walls like they did at Jericho, brings down the walls that we, we thought were impossible to come down. It reasserts the authority of God in, in our lives. Again, it tells us in Haggai how, once again, I will shake the earth. Well, when you see shaking the Bible, it's an assertion of the authority of God. I love the, I love Ephesians, I mean, we all love Ephesians, don't we? Ephesians is an amazing book. Um, but I love Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, uh, says this, um, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Wow, that's a low place, isn't it? And Christ will shine on you. And then just leaping ahead, what does that mean? We're leaping ahead. Um, it says, towards the end of verse 18, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for, I've circled this bit, everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship is the antidote to distraction because it refocuses our hearts and our lives. I love the worship in OCF. So we need to reflect honestly on our discouragements and distractions and then stir up and seek out the prophetic word again for our lives. And I would encourage you this week to do that. Do you want to um, have a chat with Adrian or somebody about the Prophecy Me appointments? Is that okay, Adrian, if people want to have a little chat with you about that at some point? Um, but it would be so good 
just to seek out that prophetic word. You know, to say, <coughs> you don't have to be dead or on the, on the cusp of dying to receive a word from God. You might be okay. You might be actually, I'm plodding on all right, Mike. But God still wants to speak into your life. He still wants to speak to you. I've, I brought a pomegranate with me. Um, pomegranates are mentioned in Haggai, but they're mentioned throughout scriptures. Pomegranates are fantastic. I've only just started getting into pomegranates, actually. Ordered a lovely salad the other day at a restaurant. Where was that? Where were you? That was nice. I had pomegranates in it. Oh, that was nice. So anyway, but you look at a pomegranate like that, and you kind of think, that doesn't look very appetizing. I'm not going to put my teeth into that one right now. You kind of, if you discovered that on some island, you think, I'm not sure if that's okay to eat or not. Because a pomegranate on the outside looks tough. You know, like our lives sometimes can seem like, oh, do you know, it seems a little bit tough, Lord God. It seems a little bit, the things you're asking of me, the things you're calling me to do, it seems a bit, a bit difficult, a bit tough. But in the Bible, the pomegranate is a symbol of fertility and of abundance and of increase. And I, and I, I love the way that God uses <coughs> pomegranates. It's in Numbers chapter 13, verse 23, when Joshua and Caleb and all the others went into the land to spy out the land. And, um, and to see what it was like. And they came back, and they carried with them huge great bunches of grapes, and pomegranates were some of the things they, they, that they brought, they brought back. And, and these pomegranates can be tough, but what we need to do is we need to, we need to break them open. And I did this in our kitchen this morning, and I forgot how much juice there is in a pomegranate. It went everywhere. Um, but within, I love the way that within a pomegranate, you've got apparently 613 seeds. I've not counted them all. It's on Google's told me that. 613 seeds. Apparently, for every law in the, in the Old Testament. Oh, I don't know, some kind of Jewish thing. So, but anyway, lots, all, those, all those seeds there. How abundant is that? You know, you've got that one thing there, and then inside you've got these hundreds and hundreds of seeds. If that doesn't speak about abundance of fertility, I don't know what does. And God has already said that now is the time for planting seeds. We are in a seeds planting season. We're in a season where God is sowing these seeds into soil that is preparing for him. God wants to do that in our lives. You know, there is an abundance and a fruitfulness that God wants for us. But what I love about the pomegranate is this. I love the story of Joshua and Caleb because they came back carrying pomegranates. And Joshua and Caleb said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. We can go in and we can take it because there's an abundance there. And everybody else said, but there's giants and we can't. And everybody else said, there's giants and we can't. And God gives us a choice. He says, which camp do you want to be on? Because there were giants. I mean, Joshua and Caleb knew that. They saw the giants as well. But what they focused on were the pomegranates. <laughs> they saw the pomegranates. They knew that there was something more. This promised land that God had, there was something new, there was something more, there was something fresh. And they trusted God that the giants would be defeated and everybody else didn't. And so everybody else didn't eat the pomegranates in the promised land. Everybody else didn't eat the grapes because they didn't go in. But those who trusted in the Lord their God, who saw the giants and said, my God can slay those giants because the pomegranates are there. <laughs> There was an abundance and there was a fruitfulness. It's a prophetic declaration that despite the giants in the land, we can and we will taste the fruit of God's abundance. So 
we're going to pray.